755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, and uh, check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. They're our proud sponsor. I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, former stud Braves left-handed reliever, who the Braves could have used last night when A.J. didn't have his best best night for the first time in a postseason. Could have given a call to, to Eric. Shit, he's so much better than I was. <laughs> oh, dude, well, you had a sub-1 ERA one year. Come on. In the playoffs? For a I whole mean, fucking what, what, year. What he's done in the playoffs, man. Yeah, he has been a stud, no doubt. No doubt. That's why it kind of, you're kind of taken aback when he has a nor, like a mortal outing, you know, what he yeah. was. And I didn't really think it was that. It was bad. Like he said, you know, he didn't consider it a bad outing. I mean, no, he got roughed up, but it wasn't like they were just scorching balls all over the place. I don't know if, I don't know if the pitch selection was great, but the, you know, the, the only risk for me, and I thought, the Braves as a whole have done a great job navigating the bullpen games and taking, I didn't, I didn't have any problem taking Ian out when they took him out, you know, after I thought about it and listened to Snit's reasoning. But the only risk for me is just, you know, you're giving the, the, the Astros a lot of looks at your go-to guys in the pen. And and it's not like they hit him hard yesterday, but they were able to battle against him. You know, I mean, he didn't dominate him. I, I, I didn't agree with, you know, the, the backdoor cutter to, uh, Gurriel. I, I just mm-hmm. thought that kind of plays into a swing. Uh, you know, Gonzalez didn't hit the ball hard. He f- fought off a cutter in and just blooped it. You know, that's just bad luck. It, it wasn't like the balls were torched off him. They were all singles, but it was kind of combined. They'd seen him. You know, yeah. Maldonado had a pretty smart at bat where he basically said he wasn't swinging. Yeah. And they got a couple of singles off him, you know. I mean, it wasn't his dominant self, but he wasn't terrible. Yeah, explain to people why maybe they don't real understand that there's there's something to that. This is a best of seven series. You start out the season the series with the team being really unfamiliar with most of your pitches, yeah. but by now you've played uh, five games and they've seen these key relievers like three or four times a piece, uh, and they've seen a ton of left-handers too. Yeah. So there's also a school of thought that you know when Max pitches tonight uh, tomorrow that they will have seen a lot of the Braves left-handers and seen Max once, that it's going to be a little easier for them to hit him. Maybe it could be than it was, you know, the first time around facing these guys. That's the general thought. You know, I mean, I've heard Smoltz talk about it, you know, throughout the postseason, but the general thought is the more times they get a look at a pitcher, the advantage starts to slowly creep into the hitter's hands. And, and like I'm, like I said, you know, that's the only risk of, of going to those guys over and over and over. Right. And I'm not criticizing it because they had to, they have to, and that's you know, four guys, they happen to be all three of them left-handers. You got to go to them. Um, it's just, it, it does. The more they see them, you know, the more they see that cut on AJ's fastball, the more they see the, the natural cut on his fastball and the cutter he throws, and maybe it's change up. They know what he's doing. And I thought the biggest example of that last night was Maldonado. Yeah. He went up there and he pretty much knew he couldn't hit him. So he just stood on top of the chalk, yep. right on top of the plate. And he tried that's to smart. lean in. He tried to lean into that first pitch cutter. I, I, that's what I said. I said, he's trying to get hit there. The knee, he, yeah. he just kind of left it there, moved it out just a little bit. So AJ sees that. And then the next pitch, ball two, looks like he's not swinging. I mean, he didn't even, he didn't yeah. check. He didn't do a single thing that makes you think he's swinging. And that's almost, at that point, it kind of turns into facing a pitcher. Where it's the hardest time to throw strikes is is when you know the hitter's not swinging, because you wanna you wanna kind of engage them and come after them and challenge them and, and fight with them when they're just giving you the plate. Yeah, 
all of a sudden you start just guiding the ball and trying to lay it in there. And it takes some of that aggression away from you. And I think that's really what happened with AJ was he started trying to guide the ball yesterday against Maldonado instead of staying aggressive. Once he realized that Maldonado was basically conceding the at bat. And that's the, the reason I thought he was so smart though, was if he knew he wasn't going to swing, he got right on top of the dish and took away that that angle from AJ. If AJ happened to miss in where he yeah. likes to go, he likes yeah. to attack inside on righties. He got right on top of the dish and just tried to stick his leg into the first one. I just I thought that was a really smart play um, on his part. That's what the Astros, his teammates all said. That was the key play to parents the, the whole game. Yep. And one of them, it might have been, it was either it was either Correa. Correa. He said Mentor has been or Gar, Mar, uh, Gonzalez. One of them said that Mentor's been. He thought that their best pitcher on their staff in this in this series. Yeah. And they said he's been nasty. So for him to get draw that walk, work that walk, was said that was the key and bad of the whole game. They said key played appearance. Yeah, but changed the whole game. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's that's something we talk about a lot on here too. Is you know, kind of being a team player and not trying to do too much. A lot of guys go up there and they want to get the big hit. Yeah, I think, you know, he kind of was honest with himself and stayed yeah. in, stayed within himself and said, uh, you know, I'm going to swing if I get to two strikes. But it was pretty obvious he was going to try to draw a walk or get hit because he knows how nasty Mentor is. So that I mean, that's just some of that unselfish stuff you see on really good teams. And he hasn't done anything in the postseason before that. And Maldonado, right. uh, uh, Marlon Gonzalez hadn't either. I mean, they signed yeah. him what to a minor league deal in August. Didn't do shit for the team during the last. Really, I mean, at the plate for the for the time they had him, I and mean, hadn't done anything in the postseason. Really, and he had a huge hit. Didn't lace it or anything, but put it, at, put it, found some grass and drove in two runs with that little little knock to uh, left field. So, yeah, changed everything in a game that I swear, man. I know anything could happen in these games, and Houston's got a great lineup. So, but when when Duvall hits that first inning grand slam. I got carried away at the moment. I thought, this is over. Braves are going to do this tonight. The crowd's going berserk. Yeah. Because you forget for a moment that they've got a kid pitching who is literally not pitched since June. Yeah. And is making his postseason debut with a start in the World Series. And in hindsight, I mean, I didn't think it was smart at the time starting two rookies back-to-back. Uh, you can't argue with the bullpen games because they had to do them after Charlie got hurt. They already had to do a bullpen game for game four. When Charlie got hurt, they had to do a bullpen game for game five. I just didn't yeah. like starting two rookies in that and thinking that neither one of them was going to be affected by this incredible uh, stage, bright lights of this big stage, you know, 43,000 people foaming at the mouth, even if it's a home game, it was electric. Yeah. Uh, and neither one of them pitched well. I mean, they both – you know, one of them lasted one game, got one out. You know, Dylan only got one out. He just looked, he, it looked like uh, the stage got to him. His eyes looked big out there, you know. It, it was the fourth major league game. Yeah. He, I mean, that, that might happen. He he, made, he pitched in two games at the in the last weekend of the season. Yeah. Then he made two relief appearances. And then he is starting in the World Series. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a that's a big load. To <laughs> There's reason that no team has ever started three rookies in a World Series, or three rookies yep. in, a, in a in a postseason series, and the Braves just did it, and it did work. I mean, it'd been great if it would have, but I just thought they had other guys who could have been the opener. I understand Snit's reasoning: left-handers to face the top of that order, yep. and guys they've never seen before. They got no book on. And work yep. with Kyle Wright because he's pitched great and they'd never seen him. 
Well, Kyle saved the whole thing. Without him, you probably lose both of those games. Yeah, he was. We talked about him in his first appearance, how he had the best stuff in that game, except maybe Graveman. Yeah. And he was terrific in his previous appearance. And then he comes in and just nutted up after he replaced Dylan Lee with one out. Bases loaded, got out of that by giving up only a ground out to drive in one run. He was terrific. That was huge. That was huge. They don't win that game or even come close without him. I don't think. Yeah, and that's one of those things you'll – Maybe get, it'll get lost, you know, if they go on to win tomorrow or the next yeah. night, it'll get lost. But I mean, that you could be down right now if he doesn't show up and do what he what he did. And I, I'll be the first to say, you know, I was I wasn't sure yeah. if he was a guy or not because he's had a lot of ups and downs. And, right. and, and in my opinion, there's been times where he's either been affected by the stage or just hasn't had the aggression to attack hitters. But the guy he came the way he threw against the Astros in Houston punched yeah. out the side, he looked like a different beast. And he he kind of – I think it was a great thing that they got him into that game and got that look at him. You know, he must have been throwing the ball pretty well wherever he was working out at and in yeah. AAA he, and everything. And he really well at AAA. Yeah. For Snitson, after the game, he thought that was the – he knows it was hard for him to be there all year, but he thought it was the best thing in the yeah. world for him to spend basically the entire season at AAA and just work on things because he came back – Build that confidence. Guy. Yeah. Because he looked like a different guy. So once again, he's done enough in the postseason where you think, okay, next year comes in, he should compete for a starting rotation spot because yep. he did the same thing last postseason. But he also fell on his face in one of his starts last year in the postseason. This year he's had two opportunities and looked great both times. He gives up the home run, but that's it in that yeah. game. And that's fine. Yeah. Solo shot. Solo shot. Whatever. He pitched great, man. He looks yeah. nasty. He looks – to me, he just looks so calm and like he belongs on that mound. He said, you know, when he's confident out there, he's got a presence. You know, he's about 6'4". Stands high on the mound. He just looks like he belongs out there. Uh, that was my first impression of him. I remember watching him with a uh, pitch against Philly in Philadelphia, watching his body language and how he controlled himself walking around the mound. I was like, shit, I'm going to bet on this guy. Yeah. You know, I've, I feel good about a guy that, that looks that, that stable up there and that confident on the mound and, and like he's in control. And I think, you know, I mean, the game just – the game just beats you up. You know, sometimes you get caught doubting yourself. And, and we talked about that pressure of going up and down, which yeah. is probably why it was a really smart thing. The team just left him down there to build his confidence and and and, and fix things. And, and this time when he came up, he probably yeah. feels ready. But that pressure of if I pitch bad, I'm getting sent down. And then, if I, you know, I got to work my way back up. And as soon as you get back up to the big leagues, you're worried you're getting sent down the next time you give it up. You know, even if you have one or two good starts – that's a lot of pressure for guys too, and, and it hurts their confidence as well. So uh, it's probably a really smart move they did that and just let them stay down there and grind. So he's down there in AAA going every five days, and guys like Mueller are up here, you know, making yep. headlines. And then Tucker Davidson came up before he got hurt. Made, he made four stars before he hurt the forearm. So, you know, he's got plenty of time to sit down in AAA and think about it. You know, I really need yeah. to get my shit together because I got yeah. too good for to, to not succeed. So I don't know. I think he may have turned a corner this time because he just looks good. His stuff, like you've said a thousand times, his stuff's too good his for him. His stuff's to, there. It's nasty, man. Yeah. Upper 90s and that breaking ball is just – it's sharp. It's tight. Falls yeah. off the table. Throws downhill. He's on top of everything. I mean, he he looks like a stud. And, I mean, that's – so much of it is, you know, as an organization – is not giving up on a guy or knowing yeah, when to yeah. give up on a guy or pull the plug. And I think that they're seeing what we're talking about and they just got it. You got to figure out how to get him to where he was at in game three, you know, game four, you got to figure out how to get him there as much as possible. 
He's only, you know, he's people forget. I mean, he's still at the age of like that Max Fried was yeah. when Max finally made it in the <laughs> yeah. big leagues. You know, he's yeah. still only that old. So, you know, he went to college for three years. It was pretty cool to see the two uh, former Vanderbilt teammates uh, in, the, in, the, in the interview room together afterwards because Dansby was just huge in that game and has, you know, and, and good for Dansby that, you know, everybody else like, uh, like Rosario said, everybody else has had their moments in this postseason yeah. with a big home run and Dansby really adding. And he did that with that back-to-back jacks, him and Soler. That was that Insane. was as exciting a moment as I've seen with the Braves in just so long, man. And that crowd was just in crazy. And they were again when Duvall hits his grand slam. But for them to do that back-to-back, and it, it's only been done three times in World Series history. And one of those was Babe Ruth. Damn. <laughs> wow. You know? I- I thought where I was surprised that ball snuck out. That's the tie and go-ahead runs in a World Series game, seventh inning or later. Three times in World Series history. That's insane. They've yeah. done a lot of stuff like that this year, though. Yeah. That you're just kind of you know wondering, wondering how they're pulling it off. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Again, the depth that Alex put together at the trade deadline or in July is uh, is paying off so much because with Soler and Peterson, you got a choice now and you got a great piece on the bench when one of them is not in the lineup because Soler comes in and that's a pinch hit homer there. Peterson did it twice in the Milwaukee series. I mean, without that depth, where would you be right now? So now you're back here and you can play them both again with the DH. And power off the bench. You know, I mean, it's one thing to have a quality hitter Right. That you can pinch hit with, but you get a runner on first two outs and throw a, a, a pinch hit at bat at a pitcher. You know, maybe maybe he doesn't go deep, but he draws a walk because you got to be careful with him. It's comforting to see a guy that you know the worst case scenario is he might slap a single. Then yeah. you stay aggressive with him, you get your ground ball, and you're out of it. But when you got Solaire and, and Jock coming off the bench, you know what they're there to do. Yeah. You know, maybe you execute, you get them, but there's there's a lot more risk when you're facing them, and that's that's when guys make mistakes is when they try to be too good. Yeah, you know, it's tough. It's it's tough with Jock because as exciting as he is, and, you know, I know he's got everybody's uh, the whole thing with the Pearls. He's kind of become the symbol of this team in the postseason. So everybody wants to see him in the game, every time, you know, every, getting four or five at-bats. But, I mean, you know, I think he's just a matchups guy. I don't think he belongs in there every game and and because he's an incredible matchup guy, and he's an incredible pinch hitter. So, I don't think you could just put him in there every day. I think Snit is wise to not start him every day. And then Solaire needs to be in there most of the time. Rosario, you're obviously not going to bench. And Duvall, you know, showed why he stays in the lineup. He might look bad for a couple of games, but then he's capable of doing what he did on that grand slam, you know? So yeah. it's a tough call. When, but when the non-DH games, I'm, I'm not taking Solaire out of the lineup. No. He's not. Uh, well, there's none of those left. No, there's none of those left. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. How about Grinky might be might have gotten the last two hits by a pitcher in Major League history? Kind of hope it stays, but I don't like it seems is. like most people wanted to go. Yeah, everybody was uh, a lot of a lot of people were like me and like Snet too. The old, uh, you know, kind of traditionalist who wanted to keep the the DH in the National League forever. I was always like that, steadfast, yeah. but. After watching it in action for a full year, I kind of changed my mind on it. And and I think that has more to do with the fact that pitchers can't hit anymore because they don't hit anymore. <laughs> yeah. They don't hit anymore. They don't hit in college. They don't hit in the minor leagues. And they, and they look, most of them, 
there's exceptions like Max Fried, obviously like Grinky, but most of them look just flail up there. They look like faulty yeah. up there, you know. I mean, they, and they, most of them can't even put a bunt down anymore. Yeah. So it's uh, I don't have a problem with it if it goes away, and I can't believe I'm even saying that, but I'd feel differently if pitchers could still hit, like you know the Smoltzes and the Glavins used to be able to hit, or at least yeah. automatically be able to put down a sacrifice bunt. Do something. That used to be I, automatic. The pitchers could do that. Yeah. But that's tougher I'm a little now, torn on it. And that's tougher now to do than it ever was, too, with the stuff they're well, facing. Yeah, it's throwing 99. <laughs> it's tough to bunt 99. 98 sinkers. Yeah. yeah. Go, go up there and bunt it. <laughs> Devil pitches. <laughs> yeah. So a game's changed. A game evolves. And that's where we're going. But anyway, here we are. Uh, if if somebody had told the Braves, we and we said this in the Dodgers series too. If somebody had told the Braves it's going to be three two, you're going. You got three chances. You know you had three chances. Now you have two chances, but it's going to be three two. You got two chances to win. You go back to Houston. You only have to win one of those games, and you're going to have Max Fried, me, and Anderson lined up. You'd say we'll gladly take that if they yeah. said that to you before the series. Hell yeah, we'll take that. You know so. You got to look at it like that, the positive point of view, rather than, oh, shit, here we go again with last year, 3-1, they're going to blow it again. Well, you said in that last series, too, you know, when the Dodgers got it back to 3-2. Right. Right. And the Braves didn't 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 come close to crumbling after that happened, you know? No, I, I don't think it's – I think Houston's a damn good team. You know, I, I mean, their lineup's tough. I didn't, I didn't give their – Better than the Dodgers lineup. I think so, too. I didn't deeper. give their guys – Gurriel's not he's a really good hitter. Yeah. You know, his back control. He, they've got some guys like Gurriel and Brantley mixed in that yes. I just think go up and I hate every time they come up. I don't care if they're off a lefty, a righty, who they're facing off. When I'm watching the game and I need those guys to get out, I don't like it when they come up because they have such good at bats and they're yeah. willing to take their singles. Yeah. Gurriel and I really had a problem with I love Dusty Baker. I think he's a great manager, but I hated I didn't well from Astros perspective. I don't know why he pitched Grinky or hit Grinky eighth behind Guriel in that game. They intentionally walked Guriel twice. Yeah. He's and a he's, batting champion. Why would you put yep. a pitcher behind him? Even a good hitting pitcher. Yeah, I don't know. That didn't make any sense. I don't know why Dusty did that, but it helped the Braves. But um yeah, those lists, by the way, of the uh sixth instance of back to back home runs in the seventh inning or later. World Series game, uh, and only three times had they uh, had they been the go ahead and tying and go ahead runs, home runs. Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in nineteen twenty eight, game four for the Yankees. Pedro Guerrero and Steve Yeager in nineteen eighty one, game five for the Dodgers. Mm. And Dansby Swanson and Jorge Soler nineteen or twenty twenty one for the Bravos. So that's like a hundred years there. <laughs> Yeah, the Braves are going to do a lot of things that 20 years from now, you're going to look, see them pop up on records and go, man, that Braves team, wow. <laughs> they had some dudes. Yeah. So Larry hit the first leadoff homer in a while, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, to start, yeah. Beast. Solaire, beast. Got to yeah. bring him back next year, man. They got to try to sign him. few guys. I know. I think they got to – you know, they got to try to sign Rosario, but I just think somebody's going to give him a three-year deal, I think. He's made After himself a lot of money. Oh. I think he went from probably being a guy that's going to have to sign a one-year deal for not much money when he Shit. was hurt. One-year five? Yeah. Three to years To being 40. a guy that could get three <laughs> years, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah maybe 30, 40? Yeah. He might. 
I mean, he looks like a hell of a player. He's making catches. He's uh, and he's been that guy a lot, you know. I mean, yeah. he had a bad year last year, whatever it was. Right. But for he's for most 30. of his career, he was pretty pretty useful. He still looks pretty damn athletic. I think he's great made himself, a, made himself a ton of money this this postseason. Minimum, I would think three years, twenty million minimum. Yeah, yeah. So from a guy that yeah would have had a one year deal, not much money somewhere, but uh, uh, but I think they so. I, but I think they got to be interested in bringing back at least two of those three guys, Duvall. I mean, he—you can't forget what he did during the season. I know he had a, had a great postseason, but but he's had some big hits in the postseason. But his what he did during the season—they don't win the division without him. No, he was huge. No. He was huge. Still a great fielder. I think I think you got to try to bring him back. And then Solera Rosario Peterson's got a ten million dollar option. I don't think they're going to pick that up. It's a mutual option, but somebody's going to give him some money. I don't know. I don't know. That's so crazy to think about, too, you know, if he had a better World Series. If he carried him in this in the World Series, too, the way he carried him in, you know, earlier in the postseason, got those big knocks. If, yes. he, got, if he had two big homers in this series, you'd be like, oh, they're picking it up for sure. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and then, of course, one of the spots is already taken by Acuna. Yeah. You still, I still don't know what they're going to do with Azuna. They got to get rid of him somehow. I think they're going to try to get rid of him somehow. <laughs> Marcel Azuna, if he's done. You know, I'm assuming because he, he's not going to go to jail, so he's going to be available, so they won't be able to avoid the contract. Um, you know, and then you're going to have, I think, I think uh, Drew Waters and Pache are in a really bad spot for two prospects. Yeah, because <laughs> they're just, I don't see how they keep a spot open for either of those guys. No way. Well, they got to, they got to deal with the lockout first before oh, you yeah, know before well, yeah. any of those moves. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what the economy is going to be? Because there's going to be a work stoppage almost certainly. I feel like there is. Yeah, but first things first. The Braves need to win this World Series, and it, it, you know it's crazy that these two teams, with all the talent that they have, they're they're the teams that deserve to be here because they were playing best when the postseason come around. But it's become a war of attrition, and both teams have run out of starting pitching. You've never seen a postseason where these great teams are pay, are playing are bullpen games. It's crazy. It's crazy. You're starting rookies who've never pitched in the postseason or never started in the postseason and are pitching in the biggest games of the year. I don't know if I've seen a single, even a six-inning start that I can pop, you know, off the top of my head, a guy going a full six and and handing it. It seems like 90% of the starters are out by the fifth inning. Yeah, what was one uh, earlier, what, uh, Tampa Bay? Who had one? Did Sale go deep? Somebody went uh, deep with the Red Sox. Gotta forget. There was one. There was one, like an eight inning start in the postseason, but there was on, I think it was only like one. Yeah. I mean, if a guy goes five strong innings, you're like, you look at it the way you used Great to look start. at a guy going eight, like Tom Glavin in game six, yeah. going eight, one yeah. hit innings. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, I don't, I didn't like all the criticism Snit received for taking Anderson out. Um, just because I, 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 once I heard his reasoning, I really liked the mindset, the logic behind it was not just that, you know, he'd face those guys, but that they'd seen a lot of pitches from him. Yeah. They'd had deep at bats, deep counts. And when he said that, you know, I mean, it made sense to me. And then the way that bullpen was going. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's hard not to push that button when those guys are rested. And you got a chance to win that game. Um, I didn't have a problem with it other than I would have left him in for that next standing 
to go like a batter or two, see how he did. Any guy gets on, he's out of there. Yeah. Let's see if he could get through that next inning in like 15 pitches because he still would have only been at 90 pitches. And then he's out for sure. But yeah. the people that were asking Snit the questions in the interview room about removing a guy who's throwing a no-hitter, as if that was the point. I'm like, he's not no. going to throw a no-hitter. To do it, he'd have to throw 130 pitches. And nobody gives a shit about a no-hitter in the postseason. But he's thrown 76 pitches in five innings to go a, yeah. to go nine. Was it five? Yeah, yeah 76 and five? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I think it was 75 or 76, but... Either way, I mean, he was on pace to go seven innings at 100 pitches. There is no possible way that you're going to leave in a guy as valuable as him. 76 and five innings. Okay, bare minimum. If all of a sudden he started th- making throwing 15-pitch innings, that would have been – to get through eight, he would have been at – he would have been at 120-some pitches, like 20 more than he's thrown all year. He's a guy that's incredibly valuable for the next five years in your organization yeah. at least. You're going to put himself in, in, in risk both for the postseason because he's not going to be available again, obviously, but more, more importantly for the long term. And you can say, yeah, but he's throwing a no-hitter. So what? You're trying to win this World Series, and you're not trying to kill a guy who's – if he had thrown 110 pitches one time during the season, you can make the argument, okay, at least let him get up around 100. But he hadn't. Can you imagine if he if he was if somehow cruised through, you know, three, four, ten-pitch innings? Three ten pitches. He goes into the ninth and walks two. You're up by one. He's thrown 120 pitches. But they leave him in to chase the no hitter and blow the game. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> you yeah. know how how bad a manager would get crucified right. for that for trying to chase a no hitter. Or it's he, uh, it's just not even a priority at all. And I think everybody has in the back of their minds these days too. Santana wasn't Santana through the no hitter and threw like 130 pitches and his career was basically over. To yeah. per, to chase a no hitter. How valuable is a no-hitter these days anyway? There's like – how many of them that were there this year? Seven? Well, 35 until they got rid of the sticky stuff. And I know that they, and I know that it's a different game in the postseason, but there's a reason why there's no no-hitters in the postseason because teams are trying to win. These yeah. are, And these pitchers are, are, are exerting themselves like never before in a postseason with every pitch. Yeah. And there's no way you let that kid stay out there. And he knew it, and he didn't even say – you know, he was – when, he, when Snit took him out, he's like, are you sure? Are you sure? But he wasn't thinking he's going to throw a no-hitter. He's thinking, I can keep no. going for another inning, you know. But, but yeah. if, and two minutes later, he's gucking, yucking it up with his teammates. He was happy as a clam to pit to yeah. a pitch like he did. He understood. Yeah. I mean, so that was silly, though, the, the, the people that were asking as though he should have been given a chance to throw a no-hitter as long as he kept it in, intact. Not, not a priority. pitches through five innings. I mean, you can't have guys throw 90 pitches all season. And then all of a sudden, when there's a no hitter, okay, you can go 125 today, though. That's insane. But yeah, that God, he was terrific. He was great. He was man. good. Had three walks, but he was, as Dusty said, and 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 also some people thought Dusty on on Twitter. Some people thought Dusty was sliding him when Dusty said he was effectively wild. Anybody in baseball knows that's not sliding a guy. I mean, that's he was effectively wild. Yeah, I mean, he could have been. He could have been sliding him a little bit because. It wasn't like Anderson was filling up the zone, but what I give Anderson credit for every single time I watch him pitch, the dude does not give in. Never. <laughs> he does he does never gets the two oh and or three one and just lays a cookie in because like he doesn't Glavin. want to walk anybody. It's like Glavin yep. in that regard. Glavin he would just, gladly walk a guy rather than, than give up a knock. Yeah. And he yep. just keeps he just keeps trying to make pitches over and over and over. He throws 
you know, he'll throw a 2-0 changeup. He might miss by an inch, and then he'll come back with yeah. 3-1 fastball on the corner. If he walks him, he walks him. But he just never gives in, which is, you know, I mean, I guess you could call that effectively wild sometimes when a guy's behind the count that much, but he plays off their aggression and does not give in, and I notice it every time he pitches. Yeah, I just thought the way, watching Dusty when he said it, I thought Dusty was not was not dissing him. I thought he was complimenting him in a way, you know, that he was actually effectively wild. So we couldn't, we couldn't square him up. He wasn't giving us yeah. anything to hit. Um, you know, I've thought about this before. So many people have compared Freed to Glavin because of the left-handers. Just that everybody wants to compare left-handers to left-handers. He's not like Glavin, though. Ian Anderson is like Glavin. Yeah. yeah. Their demeanor is the same on the field. They are stoic. They're unemotional. Yep. They are, you know, Ian throws a little harder than Glavin because Glavin, you know, Ian throws a little harder, but he doesn't overwhelm guys. He doesn't throw 99. No, he pitches his ass off. Right. And Glavin pitches his ass off, and, and neither one of them gives in, like you just said. I just think he's the guy that reminds me most of Glavin of these of these big brace pitchers. And that's a total compliment because they're both smart, um, real mature beyond their years because that was Glav all the time. And he's a young guy. He's way mature beyond his years. So to me, there's so much alike. Even Keel, everybody talks about Ian being an old soul, even Keel. That's Glavin. I mean, that was Glavin yeah. when he was 30 years old or 28 years old or whatever. So it's going to be Ian, man, is the guy that, you know, Soroka and Freed have the spectacular games and kind of overshadow Ian. But Ian's the guy that game in, game out, this guy just does it. He competes. He always competes. So I I feel good, you know, hearing that stuff about him and watching what I've seen. I think he can handle a game seven if it it has to go to that. Just look what he's done in the postseason. This is eight postseason starts now. The guy's got like the second lowest ERA in history for his first yeah. eight postseason starts. And I think yeah. Sandy Koufax is the only one ahead of him. He's like yeah. one three ERA for eight starts. Yeah. And he's I know he's not be... going seven innings, but he's giving you great starts every time he goes out there in a postseason. Well, and that's that's kind of, you know, that, that might be something that makes it a little easier for him is that there isn't that expectation to go right. seven. Right. You know, especially when you know you have that pen down there. Yeah, you could say I'm not giving in. I just got to get through five, and I, you know that's not a mindset that any old school baseball person is going to want right. to preach. But when you're pitching in this postseason, you got those four horses down there that that have just been lights out. You know, one, one or yeah. two games that where they haven't been perfect, but you could say, and it's a perfect setup for him to where he can say, you know what, I'm three two to Correa here. Yeah, he's getting a changeup because I don't have to try to go seven because our bullpen is so strong. And that pressure flips onto the other team, too, is they feel pressure to do something against Ian because they know who's warming up down in the pen. Yeah. He doesn't have to pace himself. He doesn't have nope. to worry if his pitch count's getting up. Just go out there and give us what you can give us. If it's four yep. great innings, if it's five in, that's fine. And that wasn't the way it used to be. You know, Glavin went out there. They're looking – Glavin, Matt, they're Eight. looking to go seven innings minimal. Yeah. You know, maybe use one reliever, two yep. relievers tops. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different mindset. You're right. I think Ian has, has got it right, the, the right mindset for this too. So, And I think Max is due. This is two bad starts in a row for him. Yeah. And it's not like he's throwing 92 all of a sudden and he's injured. You know, he's not. He's still throwing 96, 97. Uh, I just think he's had two bad starts. But I I will not be at all surprised if he comes out there and deals tomorrow. I really won't. I won't either. I think he had a bad start against L.A. He had yeah. a tough. He had a tough start against the he, against the Astros. His first start, they they got some. You know, they hit a few balls hard in the first, but they got a lot of cheap hits. They put some balls in play, and you know, maybe I always notice. 
you know, whenever you're locked in, you get away with pitches. You get more swings and misses. And whenever you're just a little hair off, you you have that tendency to give up more cheap hits and cheap knocks, and then the yeah. big one comes. But overall, when I watched that Houston one, there's infield singles, CNI singles, bloopers. You know, I thought he threw the ball a lot better from LA to Houston. Uh hey, before I while I think about it, hey Cameron, do I think we have some ads, right? We need to make some money. Yeah, time to, to uh, promote another show or two. Yeah, time to roll in that dough. And just real quick, just want to say to everybody that's been listening, whether you guys have been with us through just the playoffs and World Series, if you're a new listener, if you guys have been with us from the start, we really appreciate the support. I mean, you guys help us really just keep afloat. We really appreciate everything you guys do, whether it's the engagement on YouTube or leaving a comment or addressing us on Twitter. We love it. Thank you so much. Uh, If you guys happen to be listening on whatever podcast player of your choice and you've not seen us on YouTube yet, make sure to join us at youtube.com slash 755 is real. we got a lot of awesome stuff going on here. And also real quick, the athletic baseball show for those who want to stay within the Braves theme, Dale Murphy is joining Jason Stark and Doug Glanville on Starkville tomorrow within the athletic baseball show feed. So please go check that out. We appreciate the support all around. And, you know, if you happen to be on the athletic, don't worry. You won't have to listen to the ads. If you're listening to this, if you're listening free on Apple, Spotify, wherever some ads are coming your way, but now is the time to check out the athletic. You can get a tidy deal. I think just four bucks a month for a subscription. If you go to the athletic.com forward slash 755 is real. You can check out David's written work, Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark, Jay Kaplan of the Astros. Make sure you check all that out. And again, we really appreciate the support guys, but without further ado, just a couple quick ads. Hey, we had a question here from Orion Gunstream. He says, if you want, uh, or he says, if uh, with Dansby and Osby's struggles, should Snit move up Rosario and, Dan- and Duvall? Well, Rosario's been hitting leadoff for most of the World Series. So, I mean, except for the game Solaire did, but so that doesn't, uh, as far as uh, Duvall, yeah, I mean, you could, you could move Duvall up from uh, the seven hole, but, you know, with him and, uh, Dansby's hitting down at the bottom of the order. I think, you know, that gives them, like the other night when Dansby and Solaire hit the back-to-back homers, it gives them that depth in the bottom of the lineup. I, I don't really have a problem with where they're at right now. I mean, Rosario, like I said, he's been hitting at the top of the order, so I'm not sure what you mean with as far as that's concerned. Um, Ozzy's been the one guy that uh, you're really you're waiting for him to get going. He's not really looked like himself, and he's been swinging from his heels a lot. And, it looks like you're getting up there when they could just use a base hit with guys on base. He's swinging for the fences. It's worked for him most of the time. You know, during the season, it's kind of hard to criticize him. But, yeah, there's been some at-bats that have been – you wish he'd kind of just get up there try to put the ball in play. Yeah, that's a tough one, too, because I like his speed. <laughs> I mean, he's chaos on the bases when he yes. gets on. Yeah. He, could, he, he can get an infield single. He can slap the ball. I mean, I think – you know, it's tough because so there's been a few few at-bats where he's kind of come up and just swung first pitch and popped up or something, but having his speed up there is still a pretty big deal. I, I yeah. would just, you know, this is what got you here, and I would just hope that yeah. he gets it going, you know, especially in Houston. He could, yeah. he could, he yeah. could sneak a ball out to left or right in Houston. No doubt. Um, it was curious. He, he, he did the righty-on-righty thing, which he's only done like 10 times in his career, including a couple of times this year. Um, against uh, Grinky, no, yeah, he did it against Grinky, but he's done it a couple of times this year against the dude from uh, the Nationals, Harper. Yeah, kind of guys who throw 
soft tossers, knuckleballers. That's the kind of thing that a lot of guys switch it or stick to their natural side so their swing doesn't get screwed up from the other side. Yeah. And I guess he decided Grinky's lost enough on his fastball that he wanted You know, Grinky's up there throwing 89 91, but he was effective the other day when he was in there, man. As he pitched his ass off. Yeah. <laughs> that changeup he was throwing was filthy. Yeah. Yeah. So I know every time Nazi does it, people are like, why didn't Nazi stop? Just start go pit, hitting from, you know, give it up, give up switch hitting. And, you know, the dude with the Orioles did it this year with great success. So that just kind of feeds into it. But, uh, I, you know, if it comes to that, it'll come to that. But it's so far they've decided he's too valuable as a switch hitter and that he really hasn't he hasn't played enough baseball and switch hit long enough to really give it up because it makes him so much more valuable if he can develop that a little bit more than it is now. Uh, and there's been seasons where he's hit great from that side. So, you know, when it, well, when you look at it too, it's like, yeah, he's doing it against a righty that can't blow his doors off. Right. But there's such an advantage when, you know, lefty, lefty, or righty, righty, a dude's throwing 98 and yeah. with a good breaking ball of not having to think it's going to hit you in the face at any point in the at Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's one thing to do it against slower throwing guys and, and think about shit canning it against right. a guy throwing 89. But when you get in the box and it's a hundred or yeah. 97 and the guy has a good slider and you got to keep your exactly. face in there, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a big difference. So I don't, I would, if, if switch hitting is an option and you can make it work, I would suggest sticking with it. Right. Cause you're doing it for the first time in your professional career. If you're, if yeah. you're doing, if you're switching all of a sudden, so obviously you're not going to do it in the middle of the season. It's going right. to be something you have to start in the off all season spring. and all through spring training and then decide late in spring training at some point, all right, am I going to stick with this? Am I comfortable with this? Or am I going to go back to switch hitting? That's when you would do it. Not in the middle of the season. You can't do right. that. People think you can just jump over there because yeah, when he hit from one side, when he was a little kid, it's totally different than hitting from one yeah. side. against like what Eric just described. Yeah. They didn't have 12, six curveballs in literally terrifying <laughs> up there. Don't hit against a guy throwing a hundred, you know? Yeah. So with that open stance he's got too. Oh man. Yeah. That's a crazy stance he's got. It reminds me of that dude used to stay for Toronto when I was a little kid. That great hit they had. Yeah. No. Was it Bautista? No, before way before Bautista. But back in the Rod like Rod Carew era behind after Rod Carew. He was like a, a great hitter with it. He was the most open stance I'd ever seen until Ozzy. Wide open. Shit, I can't remember. My memory's torched. Yeah, mine too. But um so, man, I mean, it's still crazy that we're sitting here. Here we are, game six of the World Series. We're back in Houston. And, and I'm just – I keep thinking about if somebody had told you this two, three months ago, you know, or even a, a month – barely a month ago, <laughs> late in the season. Everybody was like, okay, the Braves are going to win the division, but they're going to get – they'll be lucky yeah. to get past the first round because the division was so weak. Nobody gave them credit. Nobody gave them a chance, man. And – people need to take a step back when they see them lose a game, you know, fail to clinch at home and go, look where they are. They have surpassed all expectations. Yeah. Nobody picked them to be where they are. You know, I mean, with a couple of exceptions, nobody picked them before the season to win a world series. A couple of notable guys like Buster did, but that was before they lost to Cunha. If somebody yeah. said you're going to lose a Cunha, nobody would have given them a chance to win a more than one postseason series. If they even yeah. won the division. Well, and so, everybody was banking on Soroka starting tonight if they did get here, you know? Exactly. And Ozuna being a stud like he was last year. Yeah. And him and Acuna with Freddie were the big three guys. You lost two of them. I mean, look where you are. So got to keep it in perspective, man. This could be the most un- improbable 
championship, you know, that a team's won in a long time, but certainly the Braves, if this is the second team to ever win a World Series for Atlanta with all those teams they had in the 90s and up through Chipper's career, you know, with the early 2000s and when they were still great. But if they could pull it off, man, what it would do for the franchise going forward, man. I think there'll be no more excuses, too, about payroll because already they have the second highest attendance in the majors this year. So they, they can't really? fall back on that weak excuse. Yeah, behind the Dodgers, they had the second highest. It helped that they were able – they didn't have restrictions early that some other places right. did. But nevertheless, you know, by by the second month of the season, most places had lifted their, their restrictions, and the Braves kept drawing really well. And then the postseason, their fans have turned out. Never mind that bullshit thing about Atlanta being not being a pro sports town or not supporting the Braves. Like in the that old days when they'd have a day game in the first round and there'd be 10,000 empty seats. That place has been packed for every postseason game. And the crowd's been really loud. So the Braves fans have uh, have silenced all that, that crap because they've been as loud as anywhere we've been. You know, Dodger Stadium's a little louder, but that's because they turn up the volume. The music's so loud. Just the fans themselves, nobody's been louder than the Braves fans. Well, they got the battery right outside, too. Yeah. And you see all the ones out there? There's like 10, 20,000 people in that little park, that little yeah. fake grass area right beside the stadium. Yeah. It was packed, man, in the yeah. rain and 49 degrees. Yeah, it's looked like it's looked like a party. It yeah. looked fun. If I wasn't yeah. four hours away, I would have definitely wanted to get down there and check some Ter- of that out just Terrific, to see terrific atmosphere. And the tickets for this series have been like the highest in a long time. The, just yeah. to get in, it's cost you a thousand to get in for standing room only. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, and, and shitty weather the first two games out there, and nobody left those games. Nobody. They were there till the end. So, it's too bad it couldn't clinch at home because I would have loved to see that. Because it was good lord, it was that roof came off when he hit that grand slam, and then those back to back home runs. Oh. It was so loud. It's pretty cool, and great atmosphere in Houston too. So they're gonna have to they're gonna have to battle a whole different set of elements. But they've shown again and again that the road doesn't bother yeah. them. They did it at Dodger Stadium. They did it in Milwaukee. They won a game at each of those places. They won a game here. So it's a tough team, man. You got some tough guys. Yeah, no, they're they're different. They're they're not. I, I just think even even mentor. You know, listening to him talk after his game last night, he's not hanging his head. Not, nah, nah. he, he's he's defiant. And it's such a, it's you know, it's you sounds like you sound like you're full of shit as an athlete when you give these quotes to the media of you know, cliches or I got to keep my head up or I don't think I pitched bad. But even if it's even if it is a load of shit, yeah. like it's so important to say it out loud and yeah. and project that message and believe in yourself and. You know, sometimes you don't believe it, but if you say it enough, you start to, and you put it behind you. But when yeah. you when you hang your head and you're down on yourself, oh, I don't know. You know, I just I left a couple pitches middle. I let the team down, and and you're just all mopey and down. I yeah. mean, that just carries on with you. And I think as a whole, this team has a really special mindset, and it's just a, it's a special group. Obviously, that's why they're here for me. Yeah. You know, especially all the obstacles you talked about. Um, but just being able to put a positive message out there and and you don't you don't get that by yourself you know that's a group mentality that's that's kind of transferring and and guys are having shitty outings and they're saying positive stuff same with luke luke blew that game in la and he said he'd throw the pitch again yeah you know how hard that is to say because you know everybody's gonna 
Everybody's going to rip on you right when you say, it. I throw it again. But it's saying those things out thing. loud and, and having the balls to stay it and stick with it, you know, that's part of why he turned things around in the next series. And that's this bullpen. If you go back and look throughout the year when uh, when Will Smith blew a save and he came in, Luke Jackson, when he struggled, uh, mentor, mentor, every one of them, and you know that's the mentality they have down there and they've yep. discussed among themselves is don't fuck, don't show them what they want to see. We yeah. are badasses and go and tell them because every one of them has given those quotes in the game, in the in the moments after those games, like the one mentor. When I was the one that asked mentor, okay, you've had such a great postseason. You've been like the, the key to this team and you have one bad outing. And mentor answered me with, I wouldn't even consider it a bad outing. I mean, that was him answering yeah. my question. So, I, yeah, I've loved their attitude is they will not get their heads down and say, yeah, I suck. I, get, I, 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 did, I, I don't know what happened. I just they, They're not like that. They're just uh, – it's a different mentality in that bullpen, and uh, they've got a great mix of guys in there. Will Smith has been a key to that too, because that dude's a—he's a to use the cliche—he's a bulldog man. He's a stud. Yeah. He's got ripped all year, and he doesn't give a shit. He's not going <laughs> to. Yeah, that's so hard you know? to do. He doesn't care, man. He does not care if he's booed in his hometown. He's going to keep go out, and he said he was going to go out and keep doing his thing, and he did. And he's been unbelievable yeah. in the postseason. Yeah, you know, and uh, and as far as the team wide. I don't think it can be uh, uh, overstated how important the arrival of Peterson, Heredia yeah. being on this team when he was called up early, that energy that Heredia gives, that just the certain, uh, certain uh, qualities that each of these guys brings to this mix, this stew, it's just all worked perfectly together. And if you didn't have all of them, if you only had one of these guys, you know, like Peterson, but you didn't have other guys, that it, it wouldn't work, but it all has blended together. And uh, each one of these guys brings something so valuable to the table in this thing. And, you know, and a, and a guy like Heredia has brought, has made it uh, possible for Solaire to fit into this team because yeah. Solaire said, you know, that he's uh he's an introvert. So he would have came over here from Kansas city and wouldn't have talked to anybody. It would have taken him a long time to kind of fit into this thing. But Heredia is a total extrovert, a fellow yeah. Cuban, a fellow <laughs> Cuban that immediately day one introduced Solaire to all, to all his teammates yeah. Made Solaire feel right at home right away. So it's just all worked. It's all yeah. worked with this team. And if they win a World Series, that's going to be the story of this team, I think, is that the sum of the parts was great. Uh, every guy reached his potential and contributed to this team. And it was because of all of them, the way that they've all blended together. Because Dansby Swanson is unlike – he's not like any of these other guys yeah. in that the way he's kind of this straight-laced – you know, kind of a guy with a Christian background, Atlanta guy, uh, uh, just the, the ultimate kind of uh, baseball, grows up with baseball, uh, yeah. suburban kid. That, uh, And then you got these guys, you know, from Cuba, and they got a guy like Freddie from California, and you got, you got just so many different ethnic, ethnicities on this team and, and, and personalities. Just like Josh Donaldson, how well he fit in here a couple of years ago, his different personality. But you got so many guys with different personalities on this team. And Jock Peterson, who's unlike anybody on this team that I've even met, right. you know, guy played high school, was a high school football stud out in Palo Alto, California, you know, and has got a brother who's a hitting coach with the Cardinals in the Cardinals organization. It's just they're all different kind of guys with different backgrounds, and it's all blended together splendidly with this team. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I don't know if it's like matchmaking, you know, I don't know if you can really yeah. do that on purpose, but whenever, it, whenever it happens, it's, it's really special. And 
you know, I mean, it's stuff like that changed my career coming over from Seattle to which was, you know, not a bad clubhouse, but just kind of whatever to the Atlanta Braves clubhouse where it was so welcoming and everybody had your back and you pitch bad guys picked you up and just said those little things, you know, um, all, all that type of stuff is kind of contagious. A mindset's contagious. And I, I think, you know, the, the biggest example of it watching the team is that literally everybody has contributed this postseason. Yeah. Some everybody seems to have had their moment. You know, some guys more than others, but like you were saying with Dansby hadn't got that big hit yet, comes up in a huge situation and goes deep and ties the game. Yeah. And it seems like everybody's just whatever it is made their contribution. And I'm sure it's like that in the, you know, the clubhouse chemistry and atmosphere too. Yeah, but didn't even mention uh, you know, a goofy guy like uh like Luke. I mean, yeah. Luke has been in his element on this team, but he's unlike he yeah. comes out to Star Wars theme, you know. I mean, he's just a different guy. Then Will Smith, he's this country boy from outside Atlanta, you know, this Georgia boy that, you know, his his personality is different than these guys. They're, they all have different personalities, but it all works so well with this team. You know, Rosario. Yeah. Rosario is a guy that I thought was kind of came across as aloof, maybe from afar watching him, but he fits great on this team. And yeah. all of them are their personalities. They feel like they can be themselves on this team and they don't have to kind of fit the mold of a, a straight lace. Maybe, maybe the Braves used to be the, your, your yeah. dad's Braves with a button down professional team and all that. And that was fine for that era. And those guys, they had a bunch of guys that fit that mold. This team doesn't have that mold where those guys can't come in and be themselves. A guy like Heredia. You know, uh, he would have been out of here. He could have never been ago, a guy like Acuna could have never yeah. played on that team. Yeah. Not without calming it down. You know, yeah. so, that was that was Escobar's big you know thing was he wanted to play his style. And right. And he would be fine doing that on this team. Oh, he and he and he'd go off. Yep. And that's that's credit to Snip for yep. for being able to embrace that stuff and understand to just let guys be themselves and not get caught up in. You know, I mean, some of the stuff would bother you, I'm sure. You know, I'm not, I, I don't think Snit ever saw himself being okay with a guy running around with pink samurai swords on a walk off, yeah. you know, but I think that he's just done a great job of kind of stepping aside and, and letting the guys be themselves for and, the greater and, good, for the greater good, and, and grasping how important it is for a group to have an identity like that. And I think he's just done an amazing job with that. And that's something he'll never get credit for, but it's pretty cool. And to be like one of the oldest managers and, and the most old school style manager yeah. to adapt to a team and allow that on his team, huge credit to him because, yeah. I mean, he's kind of like Dusty Baker in that regard. Old guys that know the game's changed and they don't try to make everybody conform to their standards of when they played or how the game was played. I mean, they, they, they're smart enough to know that you're going to do better off if you let these guys be themselves. They're going to play better. Yeah. If they can be themselves. Yeah. I mean, you can get caught up in that and, and hate it or you can embrace it. But I mean, the, the, the game really has changed and you, ha you have to adapt to it. I'm going to read you a quote from Solaire. He was asked the other day about this is I thought said so much because that Cubs team that won the World Series at the time. Remember how everybody talked about how their great chemistry and Hayward called the team meeting and everybody, you know, got a horse. Jorge Soler was on that team that won the World Series. He was asked a question the other day after the game. He said, it's been a while since the Braves won a World Series, 26 years. You broke a much longer drive with the Cubs five years ago. What was this experience been like compared to the Cubs World Series? Did you feel any of that same kind of longing for a championship among the fans here? Here's Soler. It was different, obviously, in Chicago. I think at one point we were down to three one a three one deficit. 
that group was a resilient group and we never gave up and we were able to overcome and win a World Series. I think here with this group, there's a different dynamic. I think maybe there's a little bit of a better chemistry with some of the guys in the clubhouse. And we all have that same energy where we go out to enjoy ourselves and give our best efforts in the field. And I think that would be kind of the difference. How about that? Yeah. Because that was a Cubs team that we all admired from afar, their chemistry, and nobody has said anything ever but positive about their chemistry. So for him to say this even better here. Well, I think a lot lot of times, though, you have it where it's a great chemistry within a certain group. And you look at the team, there wasn't a strong Latin (laughs) setup on that team. And so I think a lot of times, you know, you can have this great chemistry, but you could have a guy like Soler just kind of feeling left out. And right. even if even if he doesn't let it on and he's just kind of blending in, because that team did have great chemistry. Yeah. And, and and you watch the leadership on it. I think they were another situation where yeah. you watch them kind of overcome and get over a big hump and do some stuff special. But when it's there's there could be a Latin dude on the team that doesn't feel like he's part of that. And he's yeah. he's looking, he's watching everybody have fun. You know, and that's that's why I always talked about it's so important to have a Prado or like what you're saying yeah. with Heredia, a guy that kind of bridges the gap and and makes it a whole team unit and if you look at the contributions this team's gotten from their latin players yeah absolutely freaking huge yeah so i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's a criticism of that cubs team but it's just something extra special that this braves team has is is the ability to incorporate those guys into it too yeah i don't think i've ever been around and we're not in the clubhouse every day like we normally are pre-pandemic or post-pandemic hopefully but uh you could see it from just in batting practice and then in the interactions in the dugout and, and, and the difference in this team. I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen a team where there's not one guy that you look at and it kind of seems like he's over in a corner during a game. He's not part of the celebration. Maybe he's looking down. Yeah. Everybody on this team looks thrilled when somebody else, when Jorge Soler hit his home run after Dansby hit his Dansby was more excited about Soler's home run. He was going berserk. Yeah. Yeah. Than his own home run. Well, cause they're focusing on winning. (laughs) His was even bigger. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's genuine, though. You know, these guys seem just absolutely thrilled for each other. So, yeah, it's cool to see, man. It's really cool to see when you got, like what you said, uh, Heredia during batting practice. He's like the most, here's a guy that barely plays, but he's out there and he's the most, he's like the center of attention during batting practice because he's so <laughs> energized and he's goofing. He's doing his whole thing where he's walking around with his chest out and he's waving it. You know, he's just, he's always got something going on. And I just think they all feel like it doesn't matter. If they yeah. play a lot or pitch a lot, they can still be themselves. Even if they're loud, brash, they can still do it. And, and that's pretty cool that he can feel like that. Cause I know a lot of teams, a guy, if he's not doing much, yep. he's not going to feel like he should be the loud guy. The, the, yeah. the guys, the stars should be the center of everything. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it, then you missed out on one of the funniest dudes on the team who has to sit there and be quiet. Exactly. And sometimes those guys link everybody up because they just provide good laughs all season long. You yeah. know, so. Yeah, so, I think that's that's another obstacle that teams can get over is you don't have to be playing 162 to be a, a team leader and, and lead by example, you know, chemistry wise and attitude wise and energy wise. That's I, you know, I actually asked some guys about him because I've been on teams where there's a guy that's not doing shit. Yeah. And he's loud as fuck. And you're like, this guy's pitching, you know, Christian Martinez was like that. Christian Martinez, is one of the loudest guys in the clubhouse and he's pitching mop up duty. And you could see some guys kind of look at him like, this guy needs to know his place Yeah, and shut up. But C-Mart hanging out in the bullpen, we laughed our asses off the first five innings of every game. Like, yeah. He was so big in keeping it loose. And yeah. I still – I mean, I, I'll text him. He'll text me right back. You know, so, 
See, he speaks, he sends me some broken ass texts and I try to send stuff in Spanish back to him. Yeah. And, you know, we have some funny conversations, but that's kind of, you know, really smart teams let guys that have those great personalities just be themselves because you need as many laughs as you can get during the season to get through it. Yeah. So the people it's lost on some people who just look at his numbers and go, why is he on the postseason roster? Okay. Let him be the mascot and sit in the dugout. Well, you can't sit in the dugout if you're not on the roster during the game, but that's beside the point is he goes, his input, his impact on this team, his uh, contributions are so far beyond what his numbers yeah. say they are. And there are exceptions. And sometimes you just have to accept that, that they know what, why he's on the team. He's on there for a reason. And it gives you more than some guy that might be able to hit, you know, for 20 points, a higher average. Cause this guy is like the guy you are just talking about. Seymour, this guy keeps it loose every day. And that's every huge day. during a post. So huge. Keeps it loose all the time. And Sandoval was that guy too when Sandoval in, but they didn't need to have two of those guys. So no. when Sandoval, you know, stopped getting pinch hit homers, you know, they they were able to trade him and get, you know, a Rosario, a huge impact guy, because they still had Heredia, who once he came up, you know, early in that first month, there you go. They, they don't need two of those guys to do that thing. You know, they don't need two mascots, but Heredia's yeah. a Heredia's a mascot who can play great defense yeah. in the ninth inning, two for you yeah. two. And happily, no problem. Yeah, yeah he's not going to complain. He's not getting not any more innings all. or at-bats or anything like that. Pinch um, run and, and play some defense on ninth inning. He's more than happy with that. Yeah, he's – you know, and that's what I was saying. You know, I, I, I kind of sent some text messages out to feel him out, you know, what, what guys thought of him. And I got – every response was one of my favorite teammates ever. You know, you never know because some guys are so loud in the clubhouse, you lose right. three in a row and they're still doing their shit. It gets tired. Right. Like I need this guy to tone it down because I just gave up a four spot. Right. And we just got swept by the Marlins. This, you know, the act's not funny when you're like that. Right. You know, so guys have to have feel of when they're gonna yeah. put their show on. But you know, I was I was just curious and every response I got was awesome about him. Yeah, it's a gift to be able to pull that off and not and not be annoying as hell, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or to be able to be a kind of a prick like Josh Donaldson, it can be at times, but but be able to pull it off and yeah. still be a good teammate. Yeah. So Anyway, anyway, fun team to watch, fun team to cover, and uh, uh, we'll see how it ends these next couple of nights. We're down to two days. It ain't going any further. And the Braves hope it's one day, one night. <laughs> I need a 10 so I can stop eating junk food and drink it and not getting any sleep, man. These, these games are stressful. These late starts, man. Yeah. Jesus. I'm, fin- I'm, we're, I'm leaving the ballpark at 3 in the morning at home every night, you know? I've gained like 10 pounds this postseason. <laughs> And, and October has gone. We're gone. Yeah, We're at November 1st. Yep, it's over. <laughs> Halloween was a myth to me this year. Yep. So, all right. Well, we'll do this again when this, when this thing is over. The day after it's over, we'll have another one of these. Cool. 755 is real. Thanks, everybody, for all the support. We appreciate it.